You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagno alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. we got a great show for you today, this Wednesday. we got Tom Loy on the show. He is probably going to break down every single team in the country. He has been a busy man, but the recruiting juice, it is flowing right now. We're also going to have a new segment called Oyster Boys Improv, and we got to give credit where credit credit is due. The boys at PFF, they kind of put us on to this idea. NFL Stock Exchange, great podcast there, but we'll do our own twist on things a little bit. But Drew, one little thing, are, are college football coaches heading to the NFL like we think? Brandon Marcello, he tweeted about it yesterday. I tweeted about it earlier in the week, and here is the tweet. I dug around my 24-7 sports coaching carousel database. 22 FBS coaches have taken NFL jobs this cycle. 15 NFL coaches have taken FBS jobs. Seven UFL CFL coaches have taken FBS jobs as well. So maybe, maybe not. Last year, 28 FBS coaches to the NFL. Drew, I have some thoughts on this, but I want to get your reactions first to Brandon Marcello's tweet. Uh, Interesting. Um, Thought about it at length last night when it came across my timeline um and i think marcelo's on to something but this tweet doesn't address the fact that we've seen so many head coaches leave for coordinator positions right you got kane womack south alabama head coach now he's the alabama dc you had jeff halfley leave boston college to go to uh be the green bay packers dc chip kelly leaves ucla to be ohio state's oc obviously jim harbaugh off to the NFL, Sean Elliott at Georgia State to South Carolina. I don't know, Coop. I told you this, I think, when I was in Nashville for signing day. Two of the best, I would call, recruiters and evaluators I've ever been around since I've worked at 24-7 Sports. Charlie Partridge, who was at Pittsburgh, and then Ephraim Banda, who was at the University of Miami. I mean, these guys eat, breathe, sleep, recruiting, and they were also really good coaches and, and talent developers and evaluators all that that was what they like to do both those guys are now in the nfl Ephraim banda is uh with the cincinnati Bengals, and obviously charlie partridge is heading to the indianapolis colts so uh the numbers might tell a different story but to me when some of the best when it comes to talent acquisition are in the nfl i think it says a lot it feels different right i don't know why it feels more noteworthy this cycle than it did last cycle and you're talking about uh, a a six point difference right from this year to last year the nfl draft also hasn't occurred yet we'll see what happens after the nfl combine i think if those changes are still going to be made they're going to have to happen before spring ball i think you could still see some moves to the nfl as well so we'll see what happens there i thought kenny dillingham uh, put out a pretty interesting uh didn't put out the tweet um, but was quoted and saying I literally spent nine years of my life doing anything to become a coffee boy. So don't give me the, oh, it's hard to be a coach right now. Yeah, it's hard, then quit. 
I get it. Trust me. I get it. If you're Kenny Dillingham, I get it. There's been some other uh, people out there on, on the personnel side as well to echo kind of that sentiment. It's not that. I don't think it's about working hard. I, I, don't, I don't think it's about other coaches uh, who have been in the industry for quite some time saying, hey, we need to slow down, take a collective breath. It's that the calendar is relentless and it really doesn't make any logical sense. I, I think that's where it's coming from, right? So if there's issues that could be fixed in a more efficient way to be doing things, then why wouldn't you do that? And then there's always going to be people like Kenny Dillingham that are always going to propose that the solution is just work harder. I get it. I understand that. You can bury your head in the sand. You can go be that guy and says, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to wake up very early. I'm going to have my three uh, cups of coffee by 6 a.m. What are you doing? Yeah, I completely understand that. Is that a sustainable way to go about the future of college football? I don't think so. So I think there's two sides to this, a little bit of yin and yang. Guess what? If I had the 50th ranked recruiting class in the country, I got paid $3.85 million a year. I wouldn't be complaining about that either. So I don't know if it's about Kenny Dillingham or some of these head coaches as much as it is about some of these other guys lower on the totem pole that are working the same exact hours and really start to take a look back and uh, face the question of, hey, is this something that is really worth it for me at the end of the day that I think a lot of people in the industry are going through right now? And I think that's a fair question to ask. I don't think you have to challenge their manhood uh, in the process. So that's what I think about that. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. The other thing about the Marcelo tweet is, I want to see the numbers over the last five years. One year, six-point difference. I don't think that really says anything to me. I want to see what this looked like kind of pre-NIL and transfer portal, and then we can dive into that and kind of see what that looks like. So, you know, Bud Elliott's out there talking about fake outrage and all this stuff. I don't think that it's that at all. I actually think there's some merit in this, and we'll see what happens. So, anyway, guys – Great intro to the show. Love the energy. And if you like the show, you can find us every Tuesday, Wednesday on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, 5 o'clock Eastern Time. Make sure to like and subscribe. And without further ado, let's bring in the other Oyster Boy or the guy that's trying to become an Oyster Boy. He's in the middle of tryouts right now. That is Tom Loy. And Tom Loy has been hard at work, one of the hardest working guys in the industry. And Tom, we're looking in this rundown. I feel like you got scoop. Pretty much on every program in the country, you were at the Midwest Combine, uh, best of the Midwest Combine over the weekend. Let's start there. The alpha dog, Terry Walker, a guy from Lawrence Central right there in Indiana. What would you think about him? Man, I loved him. 6'4", 180 pounds. Just, there's, not, there's not a lot not to like. I mean, he looks great. Kind of a first off the bus guy for you guys, I'm sure. But um, class of 2026 guy, no offers yet. Fully expect that to change this uh, this offseason. So, ton to like there. Big time talent. Uh, threw the ball really well. Was accurate. Was the most complete, um, polished quarterback at the event and really turned a lot of heads. So, wanted to show him some love. Offensively, a kid out of Ohio, class of 2026 wide receiver, Jaden Ricketts, six foot, 190. Actually, the three guys I'm going to talk about, he's the only one with an offer. He's got an offer from Bowling Green. So, shout out to him for that. But again, all three of these guys. I think we're going to start to really blow up a little bit this offseason. Lastly, defensively, we got Leo Indiana High School, class of 2025 defensive back Landon Hepner, six foot, 185 pounder. He can play on both sides of the ball. Really like him in the secondary. Played a lot of cornerback. They don't really have a safety setup here, um, but he showed he can cover, cover, which is what I was impressed with. But overall, super instinctive. I really like him at safety. I think he's a guy, especially Max School, should be all over this kid right now. Tom, that best of the mess, best of the Midwest combat. I feel like it's been going on for I don't know a, a decade now. 
excited to see if any of these guys, uh, you know, what what happens with the recruitments. I already already threw Terry Walker in our uh, watch sheet for 2026. So uh, your word is being listened to here at 24/7 Sports. Uh, you set the outline outline last night. I kind of tore it up or moved some things around. I want to ask you about Alabama. You have Alabama on there. Says ready to make some noise, and you listed off some targets. Now, Alabama, Kalen DeBoer's there. They're number 33 in the rankings. Just two commits. And the new look SEC, that class would rank 11th. So what do we need to know about the Crimson Tide? Because I'm wondering, when are they going to get things going on the recruiting trail? Yeah. Um, shout out to Anna Adams, our new national reporter. She uh, talked about top 247 receiver Travis Smith out of Atlanta. Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, all going to land official visits as it stands right now. But keep an eye on Alabama. Um, I talked to some people connected with the Crimson Tide, and they think that they are an absolute sleeper, um, and they expect Jamarcus Shepard to be uh, very much have Alabama very much in contention there. Um, another one, three-star cornerback Onis Konanbani from South Carolina. All the buzz is about North Carolina, Miami, South Carolina. But I actually think with this recent Alabama offer uh, could potentially be a game changer. They feel like they're gaining some steam there. Uh, top 100 offensive lineman Micah DeBose out of Alabama. Keep an eye on the Crimson Tide here. They're going to get an official visit. He'll probably take an unofficial visit this spring as well. LSU is also going to get a visit in March. He's going to take five trips. Ohio State, Florida State, Auburn also in play. Um, you got Josh Petty, a guy you guys absolutely love, at least according to your rankings. Uh, top 50 offensive lineman out of Georgia. Georgia's a big, big player here, but I wouldn't count out Alabama, not yet. I'm, I'm pretty confident he'll be in Tuscaloosa multiple times over the next few months. Clemson's also a contender, as is Oregon and Tennessee. Um, Andrew Babalolo from Kansas, another elite offensive lineman. Alabama feels they have a great shot there. He told Steve Wolfong that he's going to take spring visits to uh, Auburn, Missouri, Michigan, A&M, Oklahoma, USC, and Stanford. But Alabama is definitely a contender here, so keep an eye on them. But let's be honest, there's a guy that, that Notre Dame fans who've been following me for a long time, everybody's going to be watching, Deuce Knight from Mississippi, top 247, four-star quarterback. He's been firmly committed to Notre Dame since September of 2023, but I want to make it very clear here, Alabama is a real threat, and I think they're a bigger threat now than I've thought they were in a long time. And to be honest, like if this coaching change didn't happen, if, if – um, Nick Sheridan and Kalen DeBoer and those guys didn't come over. I don't think Alabama had much of a shot. And I was probably watching Ole Miss a little bit more. But the key is that, I, like my honest opinion, I think Knight actually visits Tuscaloosa at some point. Um, I know behind closed doors they're talking about it. It's strongly being considered. So it's got a, got strong connections. Sheridan actually coached his brother, Ty Freifogel, back when he was at Indiana. So all I'm saying right now, Marcus Freeman and the boys inside the Google at Notre Dame, just keep an eye on your quarterback because – uh, Alabama's coming real hard. Tom, what is what is Kalen DeBoer selling Deuce Knight? Because I, I immediately thought of Michael Penix, and the reason I thought about Michael Penix is because you got a left-handed quarterback with a lot of physical clay. We talked a lot about Deuce Knight yesterday on the show as well, but what's the angle here in Tuscaloosa for Deuce Knight? That's it. That's it right there. I mean, there's strong ties to the staff already, so there's a comfort uh, with that staff in Alabama. The family, first of all, the family loves everything about Notre Dame. They love Marcus Freeman, but they really have an interest in Alabama and this new staff. Um, they really like Coach DeBoer. They they like the, t the connection uh, to Michael Penix in, in terms of the similarities and how he does things and his success under DeBoer at Washington. So, so that's it. I mean, that's 
that's what he's selling. You could be, I mean, I don't want to call it the next Michael Penix. I'm sure they're not saying that he could be the first deuce night, but I think that fit the scheme fit, um, the depth chart, I think it sets up a little better there in Tuscaloosa. Andrew, what do you think? I want to, I want to get your uh, immediate feedback here. The other thing I think that's important from a context standpoint is a lot of the top guys are off the board, right? Bryce Underwood's off the board. You go down the list, George McIntyre, Tavian St. Clair, Julian Lewis. We'll see what happens with him. We know he's taking visits, but what would you think of a potential marriage of Deuce Knight and Kalen DeBoer? I kind of love it, right? Because I'm thinking about what you see Michael Penix or what he did at Washington. And Cooper, remember, we saw him at the Elite 11 Finals. He was one of those kids that went through the pro day, one of the counselors out there. And then you mirror that up to what we saw from Deuce Knight this past weekend at the Under Armour camp. I, I think it's a similar trajectory with those footballs. You talk about it, both left-handers, um, both, you know, that slot can put it on a rope to the outside. So I can definitely see that. And I would be excited about Alabama because I have been wondering, you know, what is the plan for them at quarterback moving forward with Julian saying leaving for Ohio State? They bring in Austin Mack. That was uh, DeBoer's guy at Washington. But as you said, Cooper, you know, a lot of the top arms are committed. Now there's always going to be some shuffling with those quarterbacks. But I was interested to I've been I've been waiting to see who they would circle and Deuce Knight is certainly kind of an eyebrow raiser for me. I get excited about the offensive line too. Josh Petty, Babaloa, DeBose, all names that we like uh, a lot. I think what's interesting also about Alabama is that they're ushering in a new offensive line coach after Scott Huff is off to the Seattle Seahawks. So it'd be interesting. But you know, you look at Washington. I think a lot of people look at that offense and they say, all right, well the the foundation of that offense is Michael Penix, those receivers, Adunze, McMillan, Polk. That offensive line won a Joe Moore Award last year as well. Dylan Johnson was also a huge component to their success down the line. So, Drew, I mean, at least for me, they got to get the trenches right, especially in the Southeastern Conference. Coop, I actually wrote this down. This feels like Alabama offensive line recruiting of five years ago when they were involved with all the high-profile tackles. Now, I know they've gotten some guys, Caden Proctor, who they pried away from Iowa, but it seems like it kind of you know, trailed off a little bit uh, in the final years of the Nick Saban regime in Tuscaloosa. To me, you look at this list and it's like, okay, I mean, Josh Petty, Andrew Babaloa, those are two extremely athletic offensive tackles. You see where we have them ranked. Um, I think that is certainly something to keep an eye on. We talked about Clemson and Matt Luke, what they're doing up front uh, in the trenches. Alabama, man, if they can get one or even two of those guys, you have to feel good about the corner uh, moving forward for uh, Alabama. We wanted to know what the pulse of uh, the Alabama program was when it came to recruiting under Kalen DeBoer. Tom, you talked about it, I think, just a week ago, and it, it was kind of cricket. So a week later, you turn the page. It looks like Alabama starting to get in into gear a little bit under Kalen DeBoer. Now another team uh, that has – some ties uh, to the Southeast and especially the state of Florida. How about Penn State? Let's talk about them. Currently with the number five ranked recruiting class in 2025, the Nittany Lions under James Franklin, they have signed seven prospects from the Sunshine State in the last three cycles. They struck out in South Florida last cycle, but they're trying to get back in to one of the most talented states in the country. Tom, tell us a little bit about their most recent efforts to do that. 
Yeah, for a lot of these guys, I actually feel like Penn State is in a really good spot in that in that top three to four. Uh, Antonio Branch out of Miami, three-star safety, kind of watching Penn State and Florida State. Then you got Samari Reed out of Pompano Beach, Monarch, another three-star receiver that Penn State is very much in contention for. Also in play, Florida, Missouri, and West Virginia. You got top 247 receiver Cortez Mills from Homestead. Official visits are locked in. Clemson, Florida, Nebraska, Miami. So I haven't mentioned Penn State. I still think they're a dark horse. He's got a great connection with Juwan Sider, the co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach there. They're very close. Uh, so keep an eye on Penn State charging up the leaderboard there. Ty Jackson, Seminole Ridge, three-star linebacker. Penn State, Florida, Florida State, kind of another toss-up at this point. I think Penn State's pushing the hardest, which is helping them. Uh, Nashawn Montgomery out of Miami Central, a three-star receiver that's strongly considering Penn State, USC, Louisville, Miami, and Ohio State. And then really the cream of the crop would be Byron Lewis, American Heritage, Fort Lauderdale, top 247 running back. Penn State's starting to make noise. I think it's a school that's not being talked enough about. You're watching Wisconsin, Georgia, Ohio State. But he's he's on the board still. He hasn't committed anywhere. Cider's pushing for him. The rest of the Penn State staff's doing a good job. So keep an eye on Penn State. And then just lastly, as a little note for Penn State fans, I do like Penn State to eventually get it done for top 247 cornerback Jameer Joseph out of New Jersey. I know we're talking Florida. But a little nugget there, I feel good about the Nittany Lions. Andrew, which one of these guys, I mean, Florida's your state, right? You know all these guys pretty well. Which one of these guys would be, I would say, an eyebrow raiser for you if the Nittany Lions were able to get it done? Oh, Coop, I'm going to give you two of them. Uh, one of them is unranked, Samari Reed, the wide receiver. We have talked about it in this space on this show we think Penn State, in order to unlock some things, needs to get better at that wide receiver position. And I know Samari Reed is not ranked right now. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to get some verifieds on him. Hopefully we get him in two weeks at the Under Armour Miami event. But this is a kid that caught over 50 passes, uh, 19 touchdowns, over 1,000 yards as a junior. You know, looks six foot two, can get it done on the outside. To me, it's like this is what Penn State needs in that wide receiver room, especially when you look at what they took in the 24 cycle, what they took in the 23 cycle. This is a guy that can win on the outside, turn on the highlight tape, multiple kickoff return touchdowns. He's a build-up speed player. So going to be a high three-star for us. We'll see again what verifieds we get, but he's also a basketball player, so I love him. And then Ty Jackson Cooper, I don't know if you buzzed this kid, someone we saw at the National Combine. He goes to uh, Seminole Ridge High School, which does not have many, if any, Power 5 talent coming through the doors. Tons of schools were there this spring to see him. He's a tackling machine, 378 tackles the past two years. But at the National Combine, man, he ran the fastest short shuttle, second best broad jump for anyone over 200 pounds. Tossing a 40-yard dash time that was top 25 at the event. This is a three-down linebacker. Tom mentioned Sider, um, the ace recruiter for Penn State. He's got ties to Palm Beach County. I would I would keep an eye on Ty Jackson heading to uh, Penn State. And he's a guy that I think can make plays in the in the Big Ten. Penn State, a team to watch. They have done a really good job in the Sunshine State. You take last year, I guess, uh, with a grain of salt. But the years before that, guys like King Mack, other guys as well that we really like. So it's going to be interesting to see what Penn State, James Franklin, can get done in the Sunshine State. Tom, another team that seems to be charging and another team that seems to be just a household name when we talk about one of the best recruiting programs in the country. That is Texas, Steve Sarkeesian, and they are looking for another year of another elite defensive backhaul. You think about what they did last year. Kobe Black, Xavier Filsomay, Jordan Johnson, Rebell, and Santana Wilson. This year, 
while they're eyeing guys like Kobe Sellers, Jabori Antoine, Caleb Chester, and Cortland Guillory. Tom, what do you think? Can they make it happen again? Yeah, I think they're in a good spot for a lot of these guys, but I think, you know, you mentioned him right there. Jabori Antoine would be a massive win, uh, flipping him from LSU. You know, he's a Louisiana native, top 150 kid uh, at the cornerback position. He's committed. He committed to LSU back in uh, January over Texas and a few others. Um, but this one just doesn't feel over quite yet. Um, Texas is still pushing really hard. They're looking to get him for an official visit. And defensive backs coach Terry Joseph has strong, strong ties to Louisiana. So keeping an eye on them here, I think Texas has a better shot than than most realize. But the other one I want to mention, uh, top 247 four-star cornerback Corey Sellers from Pearland, Texas. Oklahoma is the crystal ball favorite, not counting out the Sooners. I think they're very much a top contender. But I'm not ruling out Texas right now. I think they have a chance to make a really big move, beat out Oklahoma, Georgia, Oregon, A&M. Um, LSU, probably the sleeper. They got some family ties to Baton Rouge, and a decision is coming in July. But keeping on Texas there, I think they have a real, real shot. Andrew, uh, just real quick, a little off-road question here for you. Uh, Texas entering the SEC here in 2024. How would you grade? I mean, you don't have to give a letter grade, but I guess you know just a short synopsis of – how do you feel Texas is recruiting heading into the most elite conference in college football? Well, I was going to toss this question to you guys. It feels like Texas is recruiting as national as ever. I mean, would you guys kind of agree with that? I mean, two weeks ago, Steve Sarkeesian was in Orlando speaking at a Nike coaches clinic. And I think that was a, a strategy play. I mean, Texas pulled Cedric Baxter out of the sunshine state. That was really the first time in a while that they had, uh, gone into Florida and landed a blue chipper like that. I think what stands out to me, and I know there's a lot of Texas DBs or, or guys from the Lone Star State that Tom just brought up, but uh, Jabori Antoine, I mean, that's a kid from Louisiana. It seems like under Sark, Texas is not afraid to go outside the borders. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting play, especially given the talent in the NFL players that come out of Texas. I think you got to be careful with that strategy but I also think if you're calculated it could work out like I think you and I talked about it Andrew a little bit when they went to Florida to get CJ Baxter I thought that was such a huge statement you get one of the best running backs in the country you see the immediate return on investment guys like Tashard Choice those are guys that kind of can transcend geographical boundaries I feel like from a relationship standpoint Louisiana is interesting as well because they dip in there I think just last year 2023 Go get a guy like Derek Williams. That's a guy that plays for uh, them very early on the back end, going to be a staple of who they're going to be. So Texas, an interesting spot. I agree with you. I mean, Texas and the state of Florida, they put out more talent uh, per capita every year in the NFL. So you got to be careful uh, to kind of toe the line a little bit there. Tom, we're going to go out west, speaking of geographical uh, boundaries, and we're going to go to Arizona, a team we don't talk a lot about on this show, especially since Jed Fish has moved uh, to the University of Washington. The Wildcats, they currently have the number 66 ranked recruiting class. Well, that makes sense. You only have one prospect committed, and that's a Georgia-based athlete uh, from Bryce Lewis. Um, they have some targets here, and you see those guys here. Mason Posa, a guy that we really like, Logan Powell as well. Tom, tell us a little bit about what the Wildcats got cooking under Brent Brennan. Yeah, Mason Posa was fired up to land that Arizona offer. Um, strong ties with uh, linebackers coach Danny Gonzalez, 
But keep an eye on Oregon, A&M, Utah, USC. They're all you know major contenders. But if, if Arizona can keep him local and land him, that's going to be a massive win for the Wildcats. But a couple other guys, four-star offensive lineman Logan Powell from Brophy, Brophy Prep in Phoenix. Little tongue twister. His brother plays for the Wildcats, so there's clearly a familiarity and a comfort level with Arizona right now. Um, but I like Arizona. I think they're a really big contender there. But, I mean, this kid's got a national offer list. So you're looking at A&M, Tennessee, Michigan all major contenders. The one I'm really watching, I think it would be, and I always just a three-star, but the big fish would be Raiden Vines Bright out of IMG Academy. He is originally from Arizona before transferring to Bradenton, but I think Arizona is, is a dark horse. I think they have a very real shot. The, the staff at Arizona feels really good about it. Notre Dame, USC, Michigan, Washington are all pushing hard to land him. But in the end, uh, this guy could be a homebody, and coming back home to play for Arizona, I think, is a very real possibility. Little zona scoop, gotta love it. And uh, Drew, you got something here on the Wildcats? The rule of thumb with the IMG Academy kids is if they transfer in, they normally transfer somewhere back close to home. That has kind of been uh, the trend over the years, especially the ones that just show up for their senior season. Uh, the guys that come in as sophomores and juniors that changes a little bit but normally they go back to that same area and and tom i know you keep saying raiden vines bright is a three-star we'll see him at this img pro day i think it's next week i'm fired up because i love the tape i i absolutely love it of uh of vines bright i gotta keep an eye on tom over there man swerving out of his lane he's getting used to it hey tom you got a good set of eyes baby we love it when you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, let's talk about the Huskies a little bit. We talked about Jed Fish uh, leaving Arizona, going to UW there in Seattle. I'm interested to kind of see what this recruiting operation is going to look like in Montlake. Right now, ranked the number 44 class uh, in the country, number 11 in the Big Ten. Tom, what's the latest out of Seattle? Top 100 linebacker is Adrius Rainey Sale from Washington. He was actually a Huskies commit at one point. I think Washington is a, a threat to get them back in the class. He's got a big uh, Alabama visit on deck this spring. I think in the end, it's going to be, do I want to stay home and play for Washington? And then you got Hayden Lowe, top 247 defensive lineman out of Oaks Christian in Westlake Village, California. Washington's a big player here. Uh, they're, they're pushing really hard for the California native. Um, the Huskies feel really good about their chances. They, they think they can get that one done. But again, they're going to have to beat the likes of UCLA, USC, two other local heavy hitters in that one. But man, if, if Washington can get that done, that'd be big for the uh, new staff there. Andrew, you and I haven't really talked about Jed Fish to Washington. It just it, it felt like it almost got swept uh, under the rug a little bit with everything that happened with Kalen DeBoer, his, depo- his departure, Nick Saban as well. What do you feel about that fit with Jed Fish to UW? It, it it's not a, I wouldn't call it a lateral move. It's a step up, but it was almost like incremental. Obviously, he's getting paid over $7 million a year. I'm fascinated to kind of see how this one turns out. And he said that. I, I think he made the move, uh, and he said he would have got paid whatever at Arizona, but it was about getting his staff mo- uh, members more money. And he brought a lot of those guys from Arizona to Washington with him. Coop, 
when Jetfish was hired at Arizona, I think me and you both kind of scratched our heads and everyone else in the national media, like, is this guy going to be able to recruit at, uh, you know, a program like that? And then two years later, we were kind of, you know, uh, giving glowing reviews of the recruiting class and, and the talent and the type of players he's got there. Look, I think it's going to be difficult at Washington uh, on field in 2024. They lose a lot from what we saw in the college football playoff and from this past season. So to me, you know, Jed and that staff are going to have to be able to generate some momentum, sell the vision of the new coach, uh, and we'll see where they finishes in the, finish in the rankings. But it's not kind of like a ideal situation in my eyes, um, even though they're coming off, again, an appearance in the title game and being kind of the toast of the town in, in college football. Like, I think it is not going to be easy. And Coop, I don't know if you agree just kind of with that thought process. Yeah, I think one win in his first season, five in the second, ten in the third. So you talk about, I think, one of the best rebuild jobs we have seen uh, in a very long time in all of college football. Jed Fish just pulled that off at Arizona. The thing is, Washington just played in a national championship. Well, that's a depleted roster. A lot of those guys left, whether it's to the NFL or whether it's following Kalen DeBoer to Tuscaloosa. So he's going to have his work cut out for him. He's been there. He's done that. I think more resources in Seattle. Fairly comfortable to say that as well. I'm a big fan of his, man. And quite honestly, he has proved me wrong uh, over the last three years at every stop. So I'm excited to see what he can do at the University of Washington. All right, last one here. Let's go sicko mode, Tom. You threw this in. Kind of caught us by surprise a little bit. The boys love some Manny Diaz. Let's talk some Duke football. What you got? Yeah, I think that he's gonna he's the key here. So so they got linebacker Luke Metz out of Mill Creek in Georgia. Um, Duke's doing a great job. I think they're kind of a dark horse. It's not being talked about enough. Um, but I will say I liked Duke a little bit more before LSU decided to offer and make this one a lot more interesting. So he's so uh, Metz is gonna visit in March and uh, check out LSU. But as it stands right now, Duke's a top contender. They're a major player in this one. But and also keep an eye on Virginia and Oklahoma. But the big fish, Bryce Davis from Greensboro, North Carolina, top 100 edge rusher. I actually feel better right now about Duke's chances with Davis than I do about Mets. Um, they're in a tight battle with North Carolina, Georgia, Clemson, Miami, Ohio State. And I think on paper, most, most would be shocked if Duke won this recruitment. But Manny Diaz, Harlan Bower, uh, they have Davis a lot higher, um, higher on Duke than most realize. And the family loves everything about Duke, academics. Uh, the athletics, everything kind of seems to s sit well with the Davis family. So keeping on Duke, that would be a major, major win. Drew, I love some Bryce Davis, man. He could play. I, I think that kid is a, a, a playmaker. And for Duke to potentially be able to pull that one off, I mean, Drew, you've been a Manny Diaz guy for quite some time now. What do you, what do you think about his, uh, his efforts there at Duke and what Duke can be? Can he pick it up from where Mike Elko left it? I think you can kind of keep it on course. I will say this. I think Duke already has three commits in the 25 cycle. Uh, seems like, as Tom has alluded to, they're trending for some blue chippers that normally the Blue Devils aren't involved with. To me, you know, Manny Diaz was at Miami. He learned how to recruit there or be a head coach recruiter. You can poke a lot of holes in how it went uh, in his final recruiting classes gets out of football resurfaces at Penn State where he learns under James Franklin. I think he has shown up in Durham with a new sound, newfound sense of urgency, uh, and he wants to get it done on the recruiting trail. Like, to me, I'm surprised they have this many guys already in the boat for a guy that was 
hired a little bit later in the cycle. Um, so fired up to see how this class comes together. And the strength is going to be on that defensive side of the ball. His scheme, it is super friendly for defensive linemen. Like they are telling Bryce Davis, all right, you are going to rack up sacks. I will show you what I did with these guys at Miami. I'll show you what I did with these guys at Penn State. You will do the same here, and we will help you get to the NFL. So, no, it's it's certainly. And then finally, Luke Metz. Uh, Tom, I, I threw on his tape before we got on here. Uh, man, two-down linebacker with instincts. That guy can, can play some football out of Mill Creek, which has – churned out some really notable players uh, here in recent cycles like Caleb Downs. Encouraging to say the least that they're in it with a guy like Bryce Davis, top 100 prospect in 2025. Tom Loy, a pleasure as always. Fantastic job. Tom Loy, brought to you by Roback, always outfitting our man, making sure that he's looking the best in the business. You can follow him at Tom Loy 247 Guys, Tuesday, Wednesday, you got the Oyster Boys. I know I beat that drum really hard. On Monday, you got the 24-7 Sports Recruiting Show. How about Thursday? You got 24-7 Sports Live that you can find on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, 5 o'clock Eastern time. Emily Proud will be there tomorrow along with some of the best analysts in the business. All right, Drew, introducing a new segment. I'm pretty excited about this. I kind of mentioned it at the uh, top of the show and where we got the idea from a little bit. But we have Oyster Boys Improv. So what that means is, is that Andrew's going to ask me a question that I think uh, he manufactured before the show that I have no idea what's coming, and vice versa. So that's how we're going to do that. That's how you know you're going to get a raw reaction here. Drew, I'm gonna, I guess I'll cue you up first here, but my question – here, I got it written down. I didn't even put it on the script. My question is, who reaches a CFP semifinal first? Brent Venables. Josh Heupel, Brian Kelly, or Kalen DeBoer? All right, you got to read. You got to read it. So I had Brent Venables, SEC, Josh Heupel. Yes. So we're all in the SEC. Oh, great. My question's all. My question's similar, but it's not similar. Um, I'm thinking quarterbacks here. I think DeBoer would be number four for me right now, right? Because. This is more of a question in terms of 2023. Uh, do I think Oklahoma? Do I think Tennessee? And who was who was the other one? Brian, Brian Kelly. Brian knows. Kelly. Oof. LSU. I'm going LSU. <laughs> I think the addition of good friend of the pod, Blake Baker, what they have done on the defensive side of the ball. I'm a Garrett Nussmeyer fan. Um and I think that they could be a potential sleeper in 2024. And I think you look towards 2025. So I'm going to go with LSU. I, I love this question, though. Um, Tennessee with, with Nico Iamalieva. You think about James Pierce. I could go with – I could buy into Tennessee as well. What about you? Uh, you, you had the question, so what, what did you got? I went Tennessee, and your head went exactly where my head went which immediately I thought quarterback, right? So you look at LSU, they got Nussmeyer, Oklahoma, um, Jackson, Arnold, and then you look at Tennessee with Nico, and then Kalen DeBoer, Jalen Milrow, obviously a great player, and we'll see what happens beyond him. I like Tennessee. Tennessee is where I win. I think immediately, you know, I think about Josh Heupel, that offense, what they brought in, obviously at the skill positions. I think the quarterback makes it go. You think about the success that they had two years ago with a guy like Hendon Hooker. You and I talk about it all the time. Timing, anticipation, accuracy. That's how that offense goes, right? It's a up-tempo offense, and it's all built around efficiency. I think Nico's that guy. 
I don't think they had that last year in Joe Milton because that's not his skill set. Sure, a lot of arm talent, but in terms of being able to play within himself, that's not his game. I get excited when I think about Nico in this offense, and yeah, maybe a little bit of recency bias coming off the Cheez-It Bowl as well, but I really like Tennessee, and I, I just gravitate to quarterback and you think about guys like Jordan Ross and David Hobbs and what they've done defensively as well like what they've done in the secondary they're one of the most deceptive rosters I think pound for pound in terms of how they've built this thing over the last two cycles as well so Drew I'm high on Tennessee I like Tennessee a lot uh, and who would have thought I mean those are three really really good coaches and I think the other team could be Oklahoma uh, because they got the guy in the middle as well with Jackson Arnold. I think the other thing that we have yet to see materialize is that their talent really bubble up and be ready to play. You, you talk about guys like P.J. Adebore, Peyton Bowen as well. Those are the early contributors. Drew, I think this is one of the most talented teams, uh, not only in the SEC, in the country here. I love the roster makeup and what they've done recruiting-wise. So I thought that one was a toss-up. The biggest question I have about LSU is the front seven. And I think that defense needs a total revamp. And that was the only hesitation on that. I think Blake Baker is going to get it right. But I think one of those other guys is going to get there first. Well, you also got to remember Blake Baker, when he took over at Missouri, he re retooled and remanufactured that defense real fast via the transfer portal. Uh, and it really wasn't a bunch of blue chip recruits. And it seems like LSU was trying to do the same thing. Uh, Tennessee, Maybe they should have been my answer. I feel like I've been saying this for two years now, but every time Tennessee gets a defensive commit, I'm like, okay, I think this guy that they're bringing in elevates the floor of the defense, and this group is getting better and better. With Tennessee, the thing is, we know they're going to score points. They just got to stop other opponents, and there hasn't been many defensive takes as of late where I'm like, I don't, I don't understand the vision for this with the Volunteers. You said it, Jordan Ross. I mean, James Pierce, they got there as well. Um, so Tennessee, Oklahoma, interesting one because the offensive line, you know, was kind of rated not only by the NFL draft, but also the transfer portal with Caden Green leaving, going off to, uh, Missouri. Um, but I'm a Jackson Arnold believer. I think with them, you also got to bring up the fact that Jeff Levy, he's out, you know, off to Mississippi state. So you got a coordinator change, but I guess you could bring up the same thing with LSU and Mike Dimbrock heading to, uh, to South Bend. I, I don't know. It's a fascinating question. Let me toss it back to you on this. Do you think one of those four get into the 12-team playoff here in 2024? I think you could have two of the four that gets in there, quite honestly. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, all, all think about LSU. They've won 20 games in the last two years. I think their floor is extremely high. Now, I think part of that last year is that LSU without Jaden Daniels, you throw in Garrett Nussmeyer, and this is nothing against him. This is more so to do with the defense. It's probably a seven-win team without a Heisman Trophy winner, right? So that's going to be pretty interesting to see if LSU can make enough improvements defensively. I think Tennessee arrows pointing up. I think uh, there will be some bumps along the way for Oklahoma. And I just don't know what to expect out of Alabama other than the fact that they're going to be really well coached. Now, from a personnel standpoint, I think it might take some time to gel. Doesn't mean that they don't have talent, but in terms of maybe uh, a guy like Jalen Milrow fitting in a Kalen DeBoer offense, we'll see. That being said, I think if there's one lesson that I learned last year, don't doubt Jalen Milrow. Guy's a gamer, right? You can do a lot of different things with him. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, if you threw those teams in a hat right now and you said, hey, this team was going to be the team to make us CFP in 2024. I wouldn't be shocked if we had one or two of those teams out of the four that we just discussed. 
and I think with Alabama, you know, ask this question two months from now when the next transfer portal window opens up. I mean, they add Keon Sab, former top two, four, seven safety from Michigan. I, I think we're going to see them be pretty active when it comes to hunting down uh, veterans that can come in and play right away because they had to replace some guys at some key positions. It's not just Caleb Downs and Caden and Proctor. Like there are some bodies that left that building. I agree. They're going to be coached well. Um, but are they going to have the horses to run the race? I don't know. Uh, talking 2024 with them. I w- I, la- 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 last point on Alabama real quick. I think it's important to note that Kalen DeBoer's best work in terms of player acquisition was done through the transfer portal at Washington. You got Penix, you got Jalen Polk, you got Jabbar Muhammad, um, you got Dylan Johnson as well. So you got four or five starters that came over. Those weren't doubles. Those weren't triples. All five of those guys were home runs, right? So I think they deserve a lot of credit there. You mentioned the spring transfer portal window. That's really not where a lot of teams do the majority of their shopping. But I would expect them to be opportunistic, right? Well, I think we are entering an era where it's a little bit different, right? A couple of years ago, you wouldn't shop in the spring transfer portal window, but uh, things, this is still new. So yes, you're right. I don't think there's as many goods available, uh, if that makes sense. All right, what you got uh, for me, I, Drew? Okay. Sorry, I was getting a phone call. <laughs> I wrote mine down. Can you read this or no? Oh, wow. We weren't far off from our questions, huh? I know. That's what I said. I like the fact that you wrote that down. All right. For those of you who can't read, it says, who has more wins in 2024? We got Nico, Jackson Arnold, or Avery Johnson. I mean, that's uh, – okay. okay. Yeah, give me what you got. All three of these guys are entering year two. All three of them started a bowl game, right? So Nico at Tennessee in the cheez Bowl – Jackson Arnold in the was it the Alamo Bowl for Oklahoma, and then you had Avery Johnson in the infamous Pop Tart Bowl for Kansas State. <laughs> all right, all these guys are top two, four, seven quarterbacks. All of them are clear cut, going to be the QB one in 2024. Um, yeah, we're not far off at all. I guess we're throwing Kansas State in the mix. I don't have the schedules in front of me, uh, but that's not a crutch. I mean, I just talked about Josh Heupel. I talked about Nico. I love that fit. I think the roster is at a perfect balance right now, quite honestly, in terms of what they have at the skill positions, what they're surrounding him with. You go out, you get a guy like Lance Hurd from LSU as well, the former five-star. I like Tennessee. I'm going to ride with Nico, but the number two for me would be Kansas State and Avery Johnson. I think Avery Johnson is going to take college football by storm. I also think Nico is as well, so I'm so excited uh, to see those guys. The other thing is, Drew, I mean – What I like about NIL, especially in the case of Avery Johnson, is I think both of these guys, I don't know if there's a better fit for them to be successful, not only now on Saturdays, but as it projects to Sundays, than the current programs that they're at. I love Avery Johnson, the system that they run. Uh, Colin Klein there uh, was obviously last year, now at Texas A&M. I thought that was such a beautiful fit. And then Nico with Josh Heupel, um, Drew, I mean, these two – Dynamic playmakers, obviously Avery Johnson more so with his legs. But while we're on the talk of mobility, I turned on that game of, of Nico against Iowa, and there was so much more there 
from a running standpoint that I did not see in high school that I thought he was capable of. And I, it, it's going to be interesting if Josh Heupel will lean on his legs at times, similar to a way like Hendon Hooker, right? He was athletic enough to where you really kind of had to respect him in the run game. But I'm going to ride with Nico, man. I think Nico, um, those of you who follow this show, follow recruiting, understand Nico, understand the recruitment, obviously the expectations. To the, I'll use the Josh Pate term here, to the, to the casuals, right, who have heard his name just a little bit, I expect this dude very, very quickly to become one of the faces of college football. Vegas win totals for these teams, Tennessee, 8.5, Oklahoma, 7.5, Kansas State, 9.5. Tennessee and Oklahoma seem pretty low, don't they? I mean, yeah, I have not looked well. at the schedule. I, so, like I said, I don't, I don't know. Um, seven and a half a for new, Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma's at Baton Rouge, right? Right. Those are the games where you're just like, oh, they got LSU later in the season. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Drew, what'd you think? What's your boys' improv new segment? Good enough to hang around? I think so. I think I think the idea here is college football or or recruiting, right? Like we can go in a variety of different directions. It's funny that, you know, first go round, we got Tennessee and Oklahoma overlap. Um, hey, Nico, Avery Johnson, what's what also is similar about them? Both those guys on my freaks list. You mentioned Nico, and I think the average fan not knowing about him, like this is a kid that could have played division one college volleyball. Uh, I mean, he is the first time you see him, you'll never forget it uh, in terms of him throwing in person. Um, and then Avery Johnson, I mean, he he tested off the charts. He had a better spark rating than Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson coming out of high school. He's a guy that could punch it on the hardwood to steal a term from uh, our good friend Gabe Brooks. You know, I, I, I'm excited because I, I think you're right. Like, we'll come to the college football season. These guys will be on the preseason magazine, but most people aren't going to realize when they're standing in line at Publix, like, all right, who, like, who is this individual? All it's going to take is two or three weeks. Yeah, Nico, best way I can describe him for those uh, who haven't seen him play is like Justin Herbert frame with Bryce Young pocket mobility, right? He's got a little bit of that improv magic, speaking of the segment as well. But Drew, good first segment. I think that one's going to stick around for a while. Guys, we appreciate Tom Lloyd jumping on the show as always. And guys, like I said, make sure to like and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Pod. You can find us every Tuesday and Wednesday. We appreciate our loyal listeners, especially if you hung around yesterday. Maybe the nerdiest show that we've ever done, an hour of just 2025-2026 recap. You will be better for it, I promise. Guys, from the Oyster Boys for Andrew Ivins, I'm Cooper Patagna. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next week.